Hello and welcome to a new episode of A Flatpack History of Sweden. Yes, very excited about today's episode. It's the first episode about Viking women. And we're both still in the same apartment before our big move, so we're hopefully getting this to you on time. Yeah, if uh, you haven't listened to our little news announcement that we did last week, we're in the process of moving from London to Sweden. Yes, and this is probably the last recording we'll do together in this apartment, so we'll be coming to you from another location probably next. Oh, I'm getting a bit nostalgic now that you said that. I haven't hadn't thought about that. Yeah, but Aww. that's for another time, and this time it's about Viking women that we're going to be talking about, which is super exciting. Yeah, couldn't be a better finish to recording the podcast together here in this flat than to start talking about Viking women. So yeah, remember all that myth-busting we did, busting myths about the Viking period uh, a few episodes ago? Well, one of those myths were that not all Vikings were men. Well, today we're going to talk about the ones that weren't men. So we're going to talk about the women. Yes, and we're going to be back in Sweden proper for the majority of this episode after our brief exploration of Vikings in the East. So... A bit of a brief recap, as we said, Um, Sweden then didn't really look like it did today. The south was under the sway of Danish kings like Hårik, like we met in Anskar's episode, and the north was still very much largely unexplored, with the Norwegian kings and Vikings to the west also having some sway over what is now western Sweden. Yeah, but one fact that hasn't changed much throughout history is that half a population of any given territory, so regardless of the fact that Sweden didn't look quite like Sweden does today, half of its population were still women. That's true of almost any given territory in in history, unless there's major demographic issues. So what did the Viking Age look like from a woman's point of view? This is what we'll be talking about today. Today's episode is going to be a bit of a brief introduction to the topic of women in the Viking Age. And in the next episode, we'll then look at it in a bit more detail, looking into some more of the contextual issues whilst we talk about women's lives and some women in particular, their lives later on as well. That will probably come in a further episode, so maybe either a third episode in a row, or maybe we might give it a bit of a break and come back to look at some of these powerful and particularly interesting women as we go. We haven't really decided when we're going to have that biography episode, but there definitely will be one. But before we do that, we should obviously have our Swedish phrase of the week. Yes, we should. And this week's phrase is... Nu går skam på torra land. Which is actually the name of a book you're reading. I am reading a book called that. It's a book all about the Swedish language. So, Nu går skam på torra land literally translates to English as Now shame walks on dry land. And it's used to mean, well, that's it. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. That is the worst thing I've ever heard that's so shameful or embarrassing. So 
I was trying to think of an example, you know, if there's a lot of political scandals and then finally you hear that the prime minister is in a sex scandal with a monkey, then it's like, there was a lot already, but now shame walks on dry land. But does it mean the same? Because when we talk about the straw that broke the camel's back, that usually implies that it's the last thing and then something happened because of it. Does that also yeah, mean the same? No, it's not really, they don't really mean the same thing. It's more that it's the last. That's the worst thing. The worst thing. But it doesn't mean that's the worst thing and then something changed. It no. just means it's sort of like the first half. Not necessarily. Interesting. I like how. It means effectively the same, but also not necessarily the same, depending on how you use it. It's also an interesting phrase, I think, because obviously shame is an abstract kind of characteristics or emotion. So it can't walk, whether on dry land or anywhere else. So it's quite an interesting language kind of concept to have to have shame walking. I think that's quite funny. Yeah. That's very interesting. Thank you for sharing with us. So, yeah, now back to the women of the Viking Age. We could do an entire podcast series on this topic, and there's so much interesting information out there. So consider this like an introduction, and then if you'd like to hear more, there's more information, books and articles out there for you to read. Yeah, and podcasts too. And this is all because... Traditionally, the image of the Viking era has been very male, but it certainly wasn't just a man's work. And so, therefore, lots of people have been looking into this, particularly in the last probably 20, 30 years or so. Yeah, there's been a lot of great work done uh, actually in very recent years to highlight the role of women in the Viking Age, but also to help us better understand what their lives looked like. Is There are several archaeologists and scholars and researchers that have dedicated their work to this and it's really them that we owe a great thanks to for bringing more attention to the topic of women in the Viking Age and improving our understanding of this part of history. One scholar in particular that we owe a lot to for helping us with our preparation in this and the future episodes on women in the Viking Age is Dr. Johanna Friedrichsdottir. And Dr. Friedrich Dottier is a historian who's previously taught at Yale University over in America and now works at the National Library in Oslo. So she's really close to those first-hand sagas and sources and environments and things to talk about all of this stuff. And most importantly, she's written an amazing book called Valkyrie, The Women of the Viking Age that we've both read in preparation for this episode and has been the hot topic book recently and yeah. sort of like viking studies and it's been promoted everywhere i remember we when we received the copy in the post i put a tweet about it that we've received it and a photo of it and we had loads of archaeologist and historian type followers on twitter who were very excited to see that we've got the book for sure and for good reasons it is an excellent book we highly recommend it It came out just earlier this year, as Chris said, and if you're interested in what the Viking era looked like from a woman's perspective, it is a must-read. We've also listened to several other podcasts that Dr. Friedrich Stotcher and other historians have been on to talk about women during the Viking Age. So that really shows what a 
hot topic this is at the moment, and it's great that it's receiving so much attention. Uh, should also mention the work of Judith Jesch, a lecturer at Chris's old university, actually, the University of Nottingham here in the UK. Uh, she's uh, written lots of great works as well. And that's all the stuff that we're going to be covering, really. So one thing we do need to remember when we talk about women during the Viking Age, or really anything during the Viking Age, is that we're talking about quite a long period of time. Depending on how you choose to define it, it lasts from the late 700s, like we've chosen, until the late 1000s, or even up to 1100, which um, I think we probably might end up doing. So regardless of which exact years you use as your starting and ending point, we're talking about several hundred years and obviously things change. Just think of what's changed in our own society in just 50 years. Uh, So there would have been subtle differences throughout the generations in the Viking times as well. Even though we aren't able to see some of these overarching trends or subtle shifts, we do get to see a general picture of how people lived during that time and also we're able to see that life definitely would have been different if you were a woman compared to a man in the Viking Age. And similarly, your life as a Viking-era woman, and indeed as a Viking-era man, would be different depending on where you lived, not just in which country, uh, as we see them today, but in which part of a country like Sweden that you lived in. And Your life, your status, and your influence would also be dependent on your wealth, uh, your class status in society, for the lack of a better word. I mean, honestly, that's much like it is today. Yeah, of course. But unfortunately for the Vikings, a lot of them would have been slaves. So that's definitely going to have a big difference on your life if you can't even make basic decisions about how you live your life on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, for sure. And Viking-era slaves... Uh, is something we'll talk more about next time with regards to women and uh, we'll probably come on to the whole topic of slavery in the Viking Age in more detail in a later episode as well. Yeah, but for now, when we talk about Viking women, it's just worth bearing in mind that we're talking about broad brushstrokes and that What can be said in general for a large group of people during a long period of history isn't necessarily the same in each individual circumstance, as we'll see from a lot of the high-profile accounts of Viking princesses or famous individual women. They certainly weren't indicative of your average woman on a farm somewhere. Yeah. If we are talking in general, though, evidence seemed to suggest that Viking women did have a relatively large amount of independence. They could, for example, own property and they were allowed to inherit, which is two things that definitely helps boost your independence and helps you to be in charge of your own life. There's also evidence to suggest that they weren't tied to the place where they were born, even though for quite obvious practical reasons, most people did tend to stay not too far from the area where they were born, but still, Viking women did travel and participate in life outside of the immediate home area. Yeah, and there's evidence of women travelling to 
all the colonies where the Vikings went to settle because that would be uh, places where they would definitely need lots yeah. of women if they wanted to actually create a permanent base. And there's also evidence of them traveling with the traders or the raiders to places like uh, Ladoga in the east and to places in Francia. Yeah, one thing I found quite interesting was that for a long period of time, it was believed that the Vikings who came and settled Iceland that actually the men were mostly from Scandinavia, mostly from Norway, but it was believed that the women were mainly from the British Isles, uh, so that in consequence that these Viking men that were going to Iceland had picked up some slave women on the British Isles on their way to Iceland, and that's how Iceland was settled. And actually, nowadays, whilst that might definitely be the case for, for some of them, there are new studies of genetics that actually suggest that there were more Scandinavian women among those that settled on Iceland. It wasn't just Scandinavian men went off. There were some women amongst there as well. Which makes sense, because if you're a guy called Harald who's leaving Norway to go and settle in Iceland and have a wife back in Norway, it makes sense that you take them if you're going to go and live there permanently. So that that would all uh, seem logical to me, at least. Going back to the independence and how much control of their own lives the Viking women would have had is a bit of a tricky thing, because as we've mentioned several times already in the podcast, it's easy that we start judging their lives by our own societal ideas and frameworks that we have today, and that might be quite misleading in many circumstances. It's quite likely that independence for a Viking woman and for a Viking man might not have looked quite like what we think of as today, and certainly the the levels of independence within relationships of what we might think as, oh, this is independence, also has a job and can go traveling by herself and has friends in other countries, whereas the bar to become independent for a Viking woman would have been a lot lower. Yeah, you know, Chris, you're quite right. Put quite simply, today we might think of like what you are describing, an independent woman is someone who maybe lives on her own, has her own income, and doesn't rely on anyone else. But we can't apply that really to the Viking Age, because in order to simply survive and get by and get food, you had to be several people. Basic life necessities relied on that groups of people lived and worked together. So independence for Viking era women couldn't be to just, you know, get a flat uh, or get an apartment on their own uh, because then no one lived like that. No one could survive like that. So we have to adapt our way of looking at it and our thinking of around independence to work within the society that we're looking at in history, not the society we're in right now. Very true. And Viking society and Viking Sweden were still fundamentally quite a patriarchal society. There were fewer day-to-day -day and long-term options for women compared to men, even though that doesn't mean that there were no options for women. They certainly did have some. And unfortunately, laws at the time did place women as subordinate to men. But at the same time, it was much less of a formal society than we have today, with a lot more sort of wriggle room for exceptional cases than the legal framework we have today, which is very much, this is the law. Yeah. 
I listened to Dr. Lezek Gardella uh, when he was on the History of Vikings podcast. Good podcast. Very good podcast. And one thing that I found particularly interesting that they were talking about was this idea that the Vikings had a more nuanced division of labor according to gender roles than we see later in history. Uh, this idea of the two spheres, so the public sphere being for men and the private sphere being for women, and there are no intermingling of the two, that seemed to not have applied so much as an absolute thing for the Vikings as it did later in history. For example, for people in the 1800s, this might have helped to create more equal roles between men and women because one's work was not necessarily seen as more important than the other. Dr. Gardella seemed to also suggest that Scandinavian women during the Viking era probably had quite a good life in the sense of their positions within society compared to women in other regions at the same time. However, it's important to note that there is a lack of resources to study this to really make that comparison for sure. Yeah, and that's not even counting the hundreds of women who would have been slaves. Yeah. They wouldn't have had it much better than other slaves. But Viking women, at least broadly speaking, seem to be encouraged to take initiatives, at least in the areas where they traditionally operated. So in general, women in the Viking Age were quite industrious. The Business women, in fact, to use a modern term, could be something you could be used to apply to people, certainly once you get to places like Birka. They were also industrious within their own roles that you could call them, such as if they were a housewife, that didn't mean they were just in charge of the house, but that role extended to the whole family. So running the farm when other family members were away or running it on a day-to-day -day basis every day. And you have looking after the animals and the crops and also really importantly producing everything from tools and clothes to sales and so these women were essentially small business owners and managers as well as their own family roles looking after children at the same time they were indeed and i find this fascinating when you actually think of it how just being alive and being in charge of your home and your everyday life essentially meant that you were running a small-scale business because I think that that really is how to look at these things. Everything that needed to be done was just so much more labor-intensive and physically challenging in so many ways compared to what it's like today. So what we consider relatively easy things we do today, that required just huge amounts of work and people, a minor task force exercise. Take washing clothes, for example. Today, it's something that we do whilst doing 10 other things because all that's really required is to put it in a machine, put detergent in, turn it on, and then when it's done, hang up. I mean, as far as actual labor input, you put in about 10 minutes. In Viking times, you'd have to I don't even know, fill massive big tubs of water and then dunk and hit and twist the fabric around and 
do so much stuff that I don't even know how you do it. Yeah, or carry it to the sea if they wash it in the sea or something. There's going to be loads of stuff that's involved with just a basic task that, as you said, we do for 10 minutes. You're talking so many hours of work and many more people required. And so someone has to manage all that, see that the work is done and done right. And that someone was a Viking woman. So, yeah, Viking women, just by virtue of what their everyday lives looked like, ran small businesses, which gave them both skills and knowledge and power and status within their societies. And like we both mentioned, they weren't just running the business that was surviving and running a home. Many also ran what would be considered real businesses outside of the home. We'll talk more about this next week when we look at the importance of things like sale making, which was something that women did and something that we really associate with the Viking era. But just to briefly mention now... There was everything that needed to be made that had to be used in this day-to-day life, which was a huge amount of stuff when it came to handicrafts, tools, clothes, cloth, instruments to help them do all these day-to-day tasks. And a lot of this was either prepared and done by the women or at least sold by the women at places like Birka. In so many ways, you can see how the economic and labour contributions that helped drive Viking society forward were done by women. There's a fair amount of archaeological evidence for this from places like Birka, Hardanga, Kalpanga and Hedeby all over the Scandinavian peninsula, not just in Sweden. And a lot of these are also graves as well, which is really exciting. Yeah, a lot of evidence uh, come from burials and graves where we can see what women were buried with and use that to help us interpret what their lives would look like. Overall, you know, we can say that Viking women led busy lives in their own right and as contributors to wider society. They were business leaders in the home and outside the home, but they also educated children They were in charge of what we can loosely describe as medicine in the Viking Age. (laughs) Some healing and remedies and looking after the ill. Uh, They worked in midwifery, helping each other during pregnancy and delivery of all those Viking babies. And they got involved in politics at a local level and some even all the way up to a national or regional level. Yeah, and this politics is some of the stuff that's going to be really fascinating to look into. And as you may or may not expect, a lot of this is to do with one of the other big institutions of both history and today, and that's marriage. We've got lots of examples of how women got married to other families or other kingdoms or rulers to use their family ties to link together different groups and create power structures. And the very fact that these women were getting involved doing it is such a a huge testament to how they were able to achieve things themselves. There's a great story we'll talk about about a Swedish princess running off to Norway in one of the sagas to sort of take the initiative herself because her father was delaying her visit to Norway to get married. So she just went to go and do it and helped prevent a war by getting married. And another part of the political things that we can see that we touched on in the last couple of episodes, looking in the Vikings to the east, was when the Rus traders sent their envoys to the Byzantine emperor 
the people named were women representing the wife of Oleg and Igor and different rulers. And so you can see that women were so important enough in political spheres that they were even mentioned and represented in diplomatic missions. Yeah, when you look at the lives of Viking women, you see how they were involved in everything from very broad aspects of society that had a relevance to almost everyone, like running farms and making clothes, to sometimes incredibly niche things like spiritual and religious roles and indeed violent and military roles. But yeah, we'll talk much more about that next week. And before we finish off this week's episode, also you mentioned midwifery and Viking babies there. And I think it's very important to remember that when we talk about women in the Viking Age, a lot of their lives revolved around having and looking after these children and sadly, in great many cases, ended with childbirth because of how dangerous that part of life was. Yeah, and having babies is obviously something that in many cases means that you stay closer to the home. It's worth keeping in mind that not just was uh, women dying in childbirth, uh, like Chris was saying, quite common, child mortality was very high during the Viking Age. Some suggest as high as between 40 and 60%. So if you wanted to have a couple of children, which you did because uh, it's nice, but you also need them for labor and for looking after you when you're old, uh, then you had to, in a sort of brutal way, almost have double the amount of pregnancies then you ended up having surviving children yeah and of course that's a naturally a very daunting and quite sad thought but in many ways sadder because of the fact that it was so normal and everybody would have known people who had young children who died or wives who died whilst giving birth so when you look at the lives of people in this time they're exposed to a lot of these broad themes in life that can be quite bad for you and as a result many viking women would spend essentially all of or at least part of their adult lives looking after children or certainly at least either pregnant or breastfeeding and that takes a lot out of you physically and mean a lot and so whilst trying to run these businesses both family businesses and practical merchant style businesses they're doing so much stuff whereas um, when you're compared to the men who are obviously doing intense fighting and stabbing and farming but they're also they've given away a lot of the responsibility for this day-to-day stuff onto the women who are having to do everything else as well so it's really amazing that if you only start looking at the women in viking society in the last 10 20 years of historical study what all the, what amazing things have we missed so far that we haven't discovered yeah and also just keeping that in mind whatever women in the viking age got up to they were doing that whilst yeah most likely either pregnant breastfeeding looking after small children mourning the loss of small children doing all those things whilst going through the physical and emotional toll that child rearing takes on you so it's like just another layer of amazingness when you consider that yeah and actually that's one of the good things about dr friedrich's daughter's book is that she um, writes it as if 
it's your journey through life. So she starts with childbirth and growing up and then leads on to adulthood and marriage and independence and growing old. So it's, it's really is part of this whole journey that you're actually quite able to see in the archaeological evidence and in the, the written sources like the sagas. So it's going to be really interesting to look into these aspects in a bit more detail next time. But hopefully that should have given you a bit of a broad introduction to the life of women during the Viking Age. And we'll get to see some of the fascinating examples, both written and archaeological, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm so glad we've gotten started on this topic and so much more to come because this really is uh, an incredibly interesting aspect of our history. Yeah, so apologies we haven't gone into too much detail at this time, but I think this should be a good teaser for what's coming up. And then the next time we get back together, we'll be able to record a really great episode for you with uh, all the extra detail. But speaking of people listening, listening to us in the future, we want to thank some of the people listening in the past. Yeah, a lot of people have reached out to us on social media. We've had some lovely messages recently. Yeah, there's been Bill from California has been in touch, Virgil, a Frenchman living in Sweden who's been got in touch with quite a few times recently, and a few people on Twitter like CrazyDog16, so hello to you, and all the other regular podcasts that we keep in touch with on Twitter and share all our lovely information and funny tweets with. And Niels Lodevik, uh, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your last name there, uh, thank you so much for your comment. Uh, Dank u wel to the Netherlands. I uh, was on exchange in Netherlands uh, when I was a teenager and I could speak a bit of Dutch then, but sadly all that remains in my memory is Dank u wel and then a slew of bad language that I'm not going to say on the podcast. But shout out to the Netherlands. Yes, and speaking of the Netherlands, uh, on the Netherlands section of iTunes, we've had a five-star review from Leo, who says, I've recently moved to Stockholm, and this podcast has so far been amazing. A great way to spend your time productively while commuting. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, Leo, if you're on the underground train or the normal commuting trains or maybe a bus in Stockholm, maybe right now, and I hope you're having a good commute with us. Yes, that's brilliant. Yeah, so I don't think there's much more to say this time around, apart from the fact that, yes, we are still in the process of moving. We're not entirely sure when the next episode will be coming out, but we'll definitely have something for you before the end of September. Yeah, do keep following us on social media for updates about the move and when stuff is coming out. And uh, please keep leaving the lovely reviews and uh, nice messages. Uh, we're always very grateful when we hear from you. Yeah, and we'll look forward to speaking to you soon. So goodbye for now. Yeah, hey, Dale.